Uh, good morning. Glad you are here with us on this cold, snowy last Sunday of January. We have the awesome, uh, wonderful privilege of uh, watching the uh, Corcoran family dedicate uh, their son. Before they join me up here, though, I uh, just want to make a couple of uh, comments. Uh, in our region here in Iowa, uh, this is a very popular thing to do, to bring your child forward, but oftentimes there will be water involved. Uh, it's an infant baptism. And so if you come from a tradition where that is, is commonplace, you may be wondering where our baptismal font is. And the uh, reason we don't have water here as part of this, this moment is because we see baptism as being tied with the death, burial, and resurrection. So we practice at Riverwood what some people call believer's baptism. So after a person understands Understands the gospel, realizing who Jesus is, what he did on a cross, that he was buried in the tomb and came out of it alive. When they realize that is to be the key core central part of their life, they are then baptized publicly. They, in a sense, preach the gospel with their body. They walk into the water and they are buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Well, because the child is not making any sort of decision today, we've decided to let the water remain until he, if he comes to that decision, is ready to do that. And yet we acknowledge kids are an incredible gift from God. And so that is why we still have a dedication. But as you'll notice, Colin today is not making any decision today. He's not dedicating himself to anything. This is really about Tim and Sarah. They're an incredible couple. They've, uh, we've had the joy of doing this with two of their three kids. And so it's an honor to get to do it with the fourth. That's why we call this a parent-child dedication. Yeah, they're dedicating their child, but really what they're doing is they're dedicating themselves. And so in a bit, uh, you're going to hear them read a vow. And in that vow, they're in a sense dedicating themselves to raise their child, to give him every opportunity to hear the gospel and make a decision to follow Christ. But then I'm going to ask if you are either extended family of Tim and Sarah or you're part of the Riverwood family, we are going to read a vow together because they are not to be doing this all by themselves. We are going to be used by God in their lives to help them, to encourage them, to celebrate with them. So if you consider yourself part of Riverwood or you're part of the extended family, I'm going to invite you towards the end to read that vow as well. So with that, I'm going to invite Tim and Sarah to come up with whichever of their kiddos also wants to uh, come. And uh, I'm going to allow uh, Tim to introduce uh, everyone to you. Hey, Claire, you can... You can Come on up here. See, Claire, I'm already so short, people online could probably not see me there. So you'll, you'll need to be up here. All right, so Tim, would you mind introducing your family to us? Hi, I'm Tim, and right here is uh, Bennett, and we got Sarah, uh, Claire, and then Mariah's in front of Sarah, and Mr. Colin. So uh, I was really curious. I really liked the name Colin, and I thought, man, there's probably all sorts of meaning in this. So I went online, and I started looking what Colin means. And the first baby website says that Colin just means handsome one. And I'm thinking, man, I wish my parents would have named me Colin. It might have helped. So I went to a different site, also handsome one. Went to another one, handsome one. I'm thinking, well, okay, cool name, but, you know, I'm not going to worry about trying to include it in the, you know, this dedication. But then I came across a different site that said, most baby name sites say that the name means handsome one. But we could not verify that because it comes from Gaelic, but Irish and Scottish versions of Gaelic, it would be Kenneth or Kevin that would be handsome one. Instead, colon comes from two words in Gaelic that means holy son. 
And I just thought it seemed really appropriate that these guys are wanting their son to know who Christ is and that they are saying, we dedicate ourselves to, to live out our lives, our faith, so that he might see it and one day want to follow Christ and in a sense, be holy. So it just seemed appropriate that today we get to pray for the Holy Son. Oh, also, Tim, you'll be glad to know that characteristics are not only leader-driven, optimistic, but master-builder. So that seemed very appropriate. Uh, I Okay, <laughs> he's a handsome master builder, so uh, truly a cut in Tim's image. Uh, all right, so uh, what I'm going to do is allow you guys to read the vow. Hopefully you can see it uh, up there on the back uh, monitor. No? It's not there? All right, tell you what, tell you what, can you read it on there? Recognizing Cullen as a precious gift from God. As we, as his, his parents, commit to each other before God and our church family to raise Cullen in such a way that he will have every opportunity to see the work of the gospel in our lives and marriage and be given every opportunity to follow Jesus himself. Thank you. And then, do we have the church vow? You're getting there. And I did not bring that up with me, so I can't make you all say we do. Uh, no? All right. So, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful and grateful for the life of this precious little boy. Thank you for uh, blessing uh, the entire Corcoran family with him. Thank you for the joy he has already brought and the joy he is going to bring. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would honor the, the heart of Tim and Sarah, that you would answer their prayer, that their son would know you and they would, he would know you by name, that he would be a holy son because of who you are and what you've done for him through the cross. Lord, I pray that he would uh, not only see it in his parents, but he'd sense it and see this gospel lived out by his church family, that we would be the, the people who surround this family, who can pray for them, pray with them, celebrate with them in those great moments, and, and that you might use us even to give the, the input and advice that, that if they ever feel that they lack it, we might be used by you to provide that wisdom. Lord, we look forward to seeing what you do in this young, young kid, that he would grow to become a man who knows you, and we pray that these, some of these things that we heard as leader and master builder, that you would make some of that true that he would be a leader of men, that he would grow to, to really make a kingdom difference, that people would find themselves so thankful that they know Colin Thomas Corcoran. So God, we thank you for this precious holy moment, and we look forward to watching how you continue to work in the lives of the entire Corcoran family, and especially in Colin. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right. And then that is for you guys. Okay, we do have sermon slides, though, so I didn't botch everything up. Uh, okay, that's, that's good to know. All right, if you uh, brought a Bible today, I'm going to invite you to open it up to the book of Colossians. Today, we return to Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning in your Bibles, let me just say to the kids, I am so glad you're here. Uh, it is always a joy when you guys come. You guys bring such an energy. I enjoy singing with you and getting to learn uh, with you. Uh, kids, if your family's been a part of Riverwood for a while, we uh, have been studying the book of Colossians for a bit. 
we actually uh, studied a lot of it back in 2022, and we got about three-fourths of the way through it. Uh, And so we're going to actually finish this book up in the month of February, where we uh, we actually uh, picked up a section of Colossians during our 21 days of prayer. So we did verses 12 through 17. So that means we are ready for verse 18. And what we see in verse 18 is Paul shifts from talking about just following Jesus to talking about relationships. You see, we called our series in Colossians Centered because in the book, Paul is teaching us how to live these Jesus-centered lives. But now, because of this gospel, it not only is to change how we live, it's even to change our relationships. And so he now begins to talk about how to live out this Jesus-centered relationship. And so when it dawned on me this week that we're now going to be talking about relationships to the end of February— I thought we need a slight rebranding. So we are now ending the Centered series and beginning the Jesus-Centered Relationships series. So today is week one as we look at these relationships. So kids, I'm going to play football quarterback and call an audible. You see, we were set to start on uh, verse 18, which talks about marriage. But it dawned on me on Tuesday that you guys were going to be with us. Now, it wouldn't be bad for us to talk about marriage. A number of you will probably one day end up being married, so it'd be okay for you to hear a sermon about marriage, but it would mean you would not be with us the next week when we would hear about children and parents. And so I'm shifting next week's sermon to today, and I'm punting marriage to next week. All right, so kids, Half of what you hear today is directly to you. So if you have your Bible open by now to Colossians 3, join me down at verse 20. And we're going to read 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Heavenly Father, We've now read from your word, but what we ask is for you to explain it to us. There's so much that's right here on the surface, and we can so easily and readily see it. But there are some things in us that sometimes want to push back on some of this, or or think that it doesn't apply to us. And so I pray that no matter where we are at, whether we are a kid or a parent, whether we are not a, a parent, not a kid, this seems to not fit us at all, that you would still speak, that you would be our teacher, And we would find ourselves so incredibly thankful for this time together as you have spoken to us through your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to die of thirst if I don't grab my water bottle. Thank you. And it would be really bad if I collapsed dead from dehydration. Hey, it'd go viral, but uh, probably not the way we want to be uh, known Um, As we start off uh, in here in Colossians looking at relationships, I need to point out a pattern that Paul employs. What he does is he first talks to the person who would be considered under in the relationship, the the person who's lower, and then he addresses the person who would be considered over, the, the higher position in the relationship. So we will see next week as we get to marriage in verses 18 and 19, he first talks to the wife because he tells her to submit. And then he says to the husband, his instructions. Then as we're going to see today, he talks first to the children and then he talks to the authority, the parent. 
And then in verse 22, he talks to slaves, to bond servants, and then he adjusts that over to masters, in, in starting in chapter 4, okay? So, kids, because Paul talks to you first, we're going to talk to you first. So this first half is for you, kids. Now, in verse 18, when Paul talks to wives, he uses the scary word, Submit. We're going to talk about the word a bunch next week, and we're going to look at this whole concept of who's the upper in the relationship and the lower, and, and hopefully you're going to see it's really not what our modern world and culture thinks. But kids, he doesn't use that word for you. He uses instead a different scary word, obey. Ooh, I know. Joe just shuddered. What? I mean, like, it's scarier than when, you know, the, the hyenas hear the word Mufasa in Lion King. Like, oh. But, but it's not that scary. The word obey simply means listen. However, it's not just like listening to music. It's listening that spurs you into action. Let me give you an example. Kids, if you are at home playing on your iPad or maybe reading a book, you're just sitting on the couch, and suddenly you hear ding dong. It's the front door. It's the doorbell. Who, who is it? What do you do? You jump up and you run to the door. Unless mom and dad aren't home. Then you pretend you're not there. Like, everyone get quiet. Shh, mom and dad aren't here. But if mom and dad are home, you sprint to the door and open it because maybe it's a friend who's inviting you to come play. Maybe it's the FedEx man. It's Jake there with a big package for you. And it's from grandma and grandpa. And it's going to be the best present ever. Maybe it's the sweepstakes people from Publishing Clearinghouse there to announce that you are finally millionaires. So you run to that door. You heard the doorbell and it spurred you into action. That's obey. Kids, when your mom or dad says your name, they're wanting your attention because now they're wanting you to listen and be spurred into action. So when they say, Bastion, clean your room. It's not, uh, it's okay. And it spurs you into action. When dad says, hey, come help me work outside, Roman. It's not, what? No. It's okay. It spurs you into action. Now already I can hear you. Yeah, some of you are like, no, no, no. Don't use my name, Aaron. <laughs> because inside you're like, I don't want to do that. Because the things that mom and dad asked me to do, those aren't fun. Like, Aaron, you don't understand. I have such a huge, like, playlist of YouTube videos I have to watch. Like, I'm so busy. Like, Aaron, you will not believe. I've got these levels in my video game I have to complete today. Like, I have this entire Lego set that I have to get done. I don't have time to obey. Let's address that, but in a slightly different way. Hey, kids, how many of you know that God loves you? Okay, I see a lot of kid hands up, all right? But I don't know if you realize just how much God loves you. Here, here's how much, all right? You guys know that your mom and your dad love you, right? and they love you way more than you even realize. And, and yet, God loves you more than that. In fact, let's take the love that your mom has for you and your dad has for you, and let's combine those. God still has more. Oh, let's throw in grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, you know, your teacher, a bunch of really nice people here at Riverwood. Still more. Let's even pretend that all 8 billion people on the planet have as much love for you as your mom and your dad. Let's combine all of that. 
and God still loves you more. That's how much God loves you. That's his heart for you. So when we see God give us various commands and instructions in the scripture, it's not because he's trying to take something from us or to limit us and make life not fun. It's because he's actually trying to help us and protect us because he loves us. So when God tells you not to lie, it isn't because he wants you to get in trouble It's because he wants you to be the type of person that people can trust. When God tells you not to steal, it isn't because he's trying to keep you from having those things. It's because he wants you to trust that he can provide exactly what you need. It's because he loves you. And when you realize God loves you that much, now you want to obey You want to do what God asks you to do because you start to realize it's actually for your good. Well, kids, one of the greatest ways you can obey God is to obey your mom and dad. Now, your mom and dad, while they love you tremendously, they are far from perfect. So that means if you can learn to obey an imperfect mom and imperfect dad, you will become great at obeying a perfect God. So that means you get to practice in the home because one day your mom and dad will no longer be the authority in your life. Instead, you will have God as the complete authority. Right now, God's your authority through your parents, but in a time, you will graduate out of that, but you will always be under the authority of God. And so you need to obey. And notice, he doesn't just say, children, obey your parents. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. Now you're sitting there going, whoa, whoa, wait, everything? Like Aaron, okay, when mom says, clean my room, okay, I guess I should. But if dad says, eat my carrots, no way. Not doing it. I hate carrots. Well, kids, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is you are right. That everything doesn't really mean everything. The bad news is it does mean you have to eat your carrots. Here's what I mean. The word everything in the Greek, there's this connotation that it is all things. Well, I have a a, a friend, he was a youth pastor for a number of years, and he actually taught his youth group that when the Bible says all, all means all, and that's all all means. Now, it's kind of funny to hear the entire youth group say that all at once, But over time, I've come to realize that's not actually accurate. That there are times when the Bible uses the word all, but it doesn't mean all. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew is writing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist has this ministry of baptizing people out in the wilderness, and word of it is beginning to spread. And in verse 5 of Matthew 3, he says this, Then Jerusalem, and he's not just referring to the city, he's talking about the people of the city. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now, did every single individual in the city of Jerusalem go out to John the Baptist? No. Did all of Judea, that'd be kind of like us saying all of Iowa, go out? No. Right? You kind of see where this is going. But if you 
we had the opportunity to go to Jordan River, and you got out there, and you saw how many people were there, you would be so blown away, you would be going home and telling people, everyone was there. Now, not everyone, but it felt like it. I, I literally just did this a few days ago. I was telling someone, uh, except I did it on, on the, the negative side. I, I was telling someone that, um, that I, I enjoy going to get roasted, but if, if I'm meeting with someone and they have something private, we either need to go when the place is absolutely packed or we need to meet here at the office. Because when it's absolutely packed, there's so much noise and commotion. You could sit right there at the table and the people next to you can't hear you because the, the noise drowns it all out. However, I was there one time and there were like four people there. And I'm sitting with a, a friend and he starts opening up and sharing some things. And I suddenly realize everything he's saying is echoing through the entire room. Everyone heard our conversation. So I'm telling someone about this and I'm like, oh yeah, we were there. It was like, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon and no one was there. Well, that wasn't true. There were four other people there. But when I said no one, the person who's listening to me completely understood what I'm saying. But if I say, oh, yeah, when it's really busy, I say, yeah, when like everyone is that get roasted. And so when Paul uses this word, obey your parents in everything, there is a caveat, and it isn't carrots. Here's the caveat. Here's the time that you don't obey. When your mom and your dad try to make you sin. Now, kids, I know your parents. Riverwood's still small enough that I know that they love you, they are for you, and they're not going to call you to that. But just pretend for a second that they told you to go and rob a bank with a squirt gun. Don't do it. Because first of all, you're going to look really, really silly with a squirt gun. Tell her father going to laugh because all you're going to do is make her wet. But second, it's against the law and also you're stealing and not trusting God to provide. That would be an instance where you can't obey because ultimately your obedience is being to God not just to these parents but again kids so many of you your moms and dads love Jesus they love you and so you need to listen to them because 99.99% of what they say is actually what you need to do it's for your good that is why we see the last phrase that Paul says is that children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Your obedience to God is kind of like worship. When you sing to Jesus, that pleases the Lord. When you're in Kids Creek and you start asking questions or you're at home and you start reading your Bible, that can please the Lord. When you suddenly just do something really, really kind for your brother or sister or for maybe for a friend at school, that pleases the Lord. Well, likewise, when you worship God by obeying your parents, it pleases the Lord. The book of Ephesians was written probably about the exact same time as the book of Colossians. I really believe that Paul wrote those just back to back because they are structured so similarly and they touch on so much of the same stuff. And so there's an entire section on marriage and children and slaves and so when he comes to children, he says one extra thing that he doesn't say here in Colossians. In chapter 6, verse 1, he shows them that the, this idea of obeying your parents is tied to the Ten Commandments. Like, of the Ten Commandments that God gave the people through Moses, only one of them had a promise. And that was the one about kids to parents. It says, honor your fathers and mothers, 
in the Lord, for this is right, and you will live long in the land. Now, kids, I highly doubt you are wanting to live long in the land. Like, what does that even mean? But for the ancient Jewish people, that was super important. They were wandering around in a wilderness, longing for what God had called the promised land. They wanted to get across this river, get established, and once there, they could grow crops and have food, they could settle down, and they could experience peace. In other words, it's another way to say, live a long, happy life. So kids, do you want to live a long, happy life? Then honor your parents. And the way to honor your parents, if you are still in the home, is to obey them in everything. And when you do that, it not only pleases the Lord, it will please your parents, and it really, truly, ultimately pleases you. So kids, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Now, it's your mom's and dad's turn. Verse 21 starts off with the word fathers. So maybe some of you moms are going, oh good, I get a pass on this one. Unfortunately, no. Uh, years ago when I heard a pastor preach from the Ephesians version of what we're going to see today, he basically said, well, it says fathers, so this is just to the fathers because moms don't do this. Moms are the better parents. Us dads, we're the screw-ups. And so he basically just beat up all the dads in the room. Well, it turns out that the word, Greek word pateras, it can mean fathers, plural. Like if you're referring to our forefathers, you might use pateras. Or if you were at a picnic and there's a whole group of dads and their dad shorts and they're telling dad jokes, you might say, you know, look at that group of pateras, those fathers over there. But just like the word mankind can refer to men and women, pateras can also refer to fathers and mothers. And so I believe these instructions are to moms and dads, not just to the dad. Because to the kid, he said, children, obey your parents. And now he goes to that authority and says, fathers and mothers. And what is it that we as moms and dads are supposed to do? He says, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That word uh, provoke there in, uh, I'm using the English standard version, uh, typically known as the ESV. I noticed that uh, in a parallel Bible, it showed that in the NIV, the New International Version, it uses the word embitter. In the New American Standard, which is very similar to the ESV, they use the word exasperate. And in the New Living Translation, which we happen to have on our resource table for those of you who don't have a Bible and want one, it uses the word aggravate. So why so many different words? Because the Greek, turns out, could be, should be translated, stir up. But that can be confusing to us English readers. Because like if you pour in a bunch of sugar and cream, you want to stir it up so it comes up throughout the whole thing. And not to us, that's a good thing. We are trying to raise up our children. We want to stir up these good things. But if you notice the second half, he says, lest they be discouraged, disheartened. Another way to translate it would be to break their spirit. And, and so when we use stir up, really it's saying don't stir up your children in such a way as to break their heart to break their spirit. Now, it's, you're probably thinking, well, wait, I, I would never do that. I, I don't want to break my, my, the spirit of my kid. I, I know you don't. And yet, even though you get it right 95% of the time, 
You've had that moment. It only happens 5%. For some of us, 10. For some of us, 20. But we have that moment where we break the spirit of our kid. I don't know why we do it. Maybe it's because we're in the position of authority. We have the power. And so we use our, our you know, mental power. We, we make them feel foolish. Sometimes we just use our physical power to pick them up and make them do what we want. We use our emotional power, our, our, our presence, to, to manipulate, to get them to obey. What I've noticed is sometimes we act this way when other things in our life are not going well and right. If we are being overlooked at work, if we're feeling ignored, if, if we're struggling, if our marriage isn't going great, we take it out on the kid. Because this other area of our life, we, we feel the lack of control. So here's a place that I can control. And so we seek to control the kid. Sometimes it comes because of things that were done to us when we were kids. And, and, and because of all that, we now let it come out upon our children. That is why you have to find your identity in Christ. Because as you let the gospel becomes the center of who you are, you become, as it says in James 1, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. As you find your wholeness in Christ, now you are not offended when your child doesn't obey right away and you don't lose it. You don't feel so offended when your child misbehaves out in public because you realize it, it's not that they're trying to make you look bad. Your heart becomes all about your child because the more you're understanding the gospel, the more you're understanding the heart of God to you. You see, God is in the position of ultimate authority. He has all the power, all the position. He's smarter than us. He has deeper character than us. He is way better than us in every aspect. And yet not once does he use that to manipulate us, to stir us up and break our spirit. Instead, we see the God of the universe coming down, taking on human flesh, putting himself in a sense under us to go and die our death on the cross so that we can be freed. He had our best in mind. That's what a good parent does. I've seen so many of you do this. You guys sacrifice for your kids. You set things aside. You guys are so great at it. I just want to help you eliminate and reduce those 5, 10, and 20% moments. But that's going to come as you are saturated in this gospel. And as your identity is found in Christ, you realize you are complete and perfect, lacking nothing. You are whole. You are fine. And so now you can minister to your kid and lead them as they need led. Because the better you do at this, the easier it is for them to obey. So you want to help your kid to do their part? Then you seek after Christ. So kids, you're to obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. Ultimately, this is about God, so keep your eyes on Jesus. But likewise, to parents, God wants to use you to help mold and shape your child into that image of Jesus. And it's going to be done more efficiently, better, with more joy as you keep your eyes on Christ. Now, I realize some of you here today are saying, okay, but Aaron, I don't fit any of this. Like, I, I'm not a parent, or maybe you're an empty nester, and so the, you know, the kids are out. So how does this apply? Well, just as uh, uh, the parent and the kid are to keep their eyes on, on Christ, that, that's my same advice to you. It, it, I, I will acknowledge that there are certain pockets within our culture that 
it's considered better to have kids. Maybe some of you have felt it. It's starting to change in our culture, but especially, you know, 20, 30 years ago as I was getting married, there was, there was this pressure. Like, if you were single, there must be something wrong with you. Like, you know, good people, they get married. Oh, but then once you're married, oh, now you're going to have kids. I mean, literally in our wedding line, Leanne and I just said our vows. We're saying goodbye to everyone. We're getting ready to head to the reception. And literally someone comes by and says, so when are you guys having kids? We haven't even had our wedding night. I mean, seriously. There's this pressure to like have kids, get to the next stage. You have one kid when you have another. I I want you to know that's not what God has for you. God does not view your value as being greater because you're married or because you have kids or because you have more kids than the neighbor next door. God wants to minister to you in this season. And if this season has kids, great. If this season does not have kids, great. You seek after Christ no matter what season you're in. If the season changes, You're trusting that's God bringing you along. But if you're in this season for a long time, continue to seek after God. But I also realize some of you, you're like, okay, kids are a long way away. And yet I'm thinking particularly of our college students. Like, okay, but wait, I'm still kind of like a kid, but yet I'm not. So I wanted to speak specifically to you guys. Because... It's an interesting thing. I was just talking to my 25-year-old daughter this week on the phone, and somehow, I I don't even remember how this came up, but in the course of our conversation, I mentioned that uh, sociologists, probably about 20 years ago, were saying that they were thinking about extending adolescence to age 26. Some were even saying they were going to extend it to age 30. Because they were saying how, you know, the human brain just isn't fully developing until then. So somehow this comes out and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm an idiot. My daughter's going to think I'm insulting her. Like, oh, you're still a kid. And instead she surprised me and she goes, oh, I totally see that. Really? She's like, oh yeah. She goes, I think it was just like last year that I felt like my brain was finally an adult brain. And so maybe you're feeling like a kid still. And you're like, okay, so what do I do? Do I obey my parents in everything? So here's my advice. Now, I'm going to readily admit this is opinion. Hopefully a God-saturated opinion, but still an opinion because I don't have chapter verse. Okay, here, here you go. Many, the, the reason this is so confusing is because we do not have a uh, ceremony from a childhood to adulthood. A lot of cultures did. A very clear ceremony like, okay, after this moment, we consider you an adult. We don't have that. So some people think it's the day you turn 18. I mean, after all, you can now vote, you can now get drafted, so you're now an adult. Other people think it is when you, like, you know, either get to college, or maybe you get your very first job, uh, you you get your first debt, Uh, maybe it's when you actually get married. Well, here's kind of what I think. When you are in college, you are having to make adult decisions. You may still feel like a kid, but you're making financial decisions, You're making relational decisions. You're making future decisions. And oftentimes you're having to make those on your own. And so I have to start treating you like an adult. Now, I think this means you should not obey your parents in everything. However, you should still honor your parents in everything. You would be a fool to not rely on the wisdom of your parents. Your parents have way more experience than you. 
And they usually have your best in mind. They love you. And so they're not going to try to tell you to do something to ruin your life. However, if you have a mom or a dad who's saying, okay, after you graduate from Warburg, you're going to go on and you're going to get your law degree. Now, if you are wired in such a way, and your parents probably see that and feel like, oh, that's a really good career. That's a great future for you. You'd excel at that. And if you feel like that would be a great life choice for you, and this is the way you can honor God, do it. But if you feel differently, like I don't think that is what God is calling me to, you're not sinning by saying, I don't think I'm going to go to law school. Still seek to show respect, show honor, but don't feel like you have to do it. Because if you allow mom and dad to dictate everything now while you're in college, it's going to be harder for you to establish yourself as an adult when you get out into a career. I think college should be that time of practice because you have a group of people who are around you and for you. If you're part of the Riverwood family, we would be absolutely honored to be a part of this, but we want to help you become established because our world needs people who will live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, and this is the time to practice that. So please, text mom, call dad, get their input, but don't feel like you have to do everything they tell you because you are beginning to get established as an adult as you make these decisions. Now, again, opinion, not fact. Maybe call your other pastor who's smarter than me and he might have something better, but that's where I stand. And I just felt like if you're wondering out of this passage, what do I do? Hopefully that will help to guide you. All right, so um, let me pray. And then uh, I got one other thing before, as we uh, move into communion. So Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these words in the scriptures. Um, I pray for the kids in the room that you would help them to really grasp this, to get a hold of it, and that they would become the kind of kids who can uh, uh, obey. That they would learn that obedience is not just about compliance, but it's, it's part of their growth, it's part of their maturation, it, it's becoming part of who you are, because ultimately, God, they are to, to obey you. And so I pray that you would help them to really grow in this area, that they would realize that the heart of their mom and dad is for them, not trying to rob them of anything, but instead wanting to help them become who you are calling them to be. So I, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd help the kids to obey. I pray for moms and dads, that they would love their kids like you love us, that they would be willing to, to day in, day out, sacrifice themselves, their time, their energy, their attention for the good of their kids, that they, just like your heart is for us, may their heart be for their, their children. May, may you just work within the moms and dads so that they can be who you call them to be, so that they can lead like Jesus towards their children. And as they love these kids, they would prepare them for the life that you have for them. Father, if they have had their, their tough moments, I pray you would help them to forgive themselves. And I pray they'd even have the courage to go and get forgiveness from their child. Father, I pray you'd make these relationships strong because as these, these moms and dads sacrifice the, for them, of themselves, that their kids would be able to rise up and honor them and, and say how blessed they are to have this, this mom and this dad in their life. Lord, I pray for those who come from broken families, that this is so hard to hear because it, it, it sounds like it's children with a mom and dad that are still together. Lord, I pray that ultimately our eyes would be on you and we would realize you are the perfect Father, you are the one we need. And if you have blessed with a mom and a dad in this life, that we can thank you for that. If we have a mom or a dad who's passed away, we can thank you for the time we did have with them. 
For anyone whose relationship with mom or dad is is broken right now, I pray you would bring repair and reconciliation. But God, ultimately, no matter what season we find ourselves in, that you would be our focus, you would be what we are about, our identity would be found in this life-changing gospel message, and that that would make all the difference. Because God, I trust that you can fill the gaps that we may be lacking, whether it's in a parent relationship or a child relationship, and we can trust them to you as we trust ourselves to you. So Father, if there is anything that I said this morning that was not of you, would you just graciously let us forget those things But the things that were from you, that the things your spirit wants us to have, help us to not forget them, to hold on to them, and these things to help carry us, not just through this next day and this next week, but through the rest of our lives as we seek to honor you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we uh, get ready to move into communion, I want to point one thing out. Uh, As the band uh, comes on up, and Zion, feel free to drop the lights. I want you to realize, as we hear verses 20 and 21, <laughs> you're probably going to be like me and, and think this is what God wants for you and from you, all right? So kids, you're thinking that this is all about, you know, you've got to obey your parents. And parents, you're, you're thinking like, okay, I've got to make sure not to provoke my children to, you know, do these things, uh, to stir them up. But what I want you to realize is that these aren't just instructions from God to you. These are also words that were fulfilled by God. Jesus, God the Son, obeyed the Father in everything. So kids, when when God asks you to obey your parents, it's something Jesus has already done. And, And when we look at the heart of God towards us, we realize he did not abuse his position of power. Instead, he sacrificed it for us so that we could come into a relationship with him. Our sin kept us separated, and it drove God nuts. He loves us so much. And so it was from his plan from the beginning. Even when he created Adam and Eve, he knew what they were going to do. He knew the pain that would be in the world. And yet he still entered into the pain, went through the cross, paid our penalty, died our death to give us the life he always wanted us to have. So as you come to these communion elements today, This isn't just something we do out of duty. It's just not something we do because this is what we just do every week. We're coming today because we realize that God the Son perfectly obeyed the Father by going to the cross. And the Father sacrificed His Son for us. He was willing to do whatever it took to make you His. So this next moment, as holy as it is, this should be a moment of joy, a moment of celebration. But yet it would also be a moment of confession. Because while Jesus fulfilled these words perfectly, you and I are not. So moms and dads, if you've had a bad week, maybe even did something this morning, this is just a beautiful time for you to realize God forgives you through the cross. Kids, I just want to say to you, uh, the communion elements are for people who understand the gospel, who've put their faith in Jesus. That, that bread, is, it represents the body of Christ broken for us. The, the, the juice represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. I realize a number of you, you know this story. Your moms and your dads know where you're at spiritually better than I. And so if your mom and your dad invite you to partake, then by all means do so. But this is not snack time. This is worship time. But kids, if your mom and dad say, not right now, It isn't because they're trying to keep something from you. They realize just how beautiful communion is and they want you to come to a place where you understand it a little better. 
And so if mom and dad say no, they're not trying to keep something from you. You can still sing with us. You can still pray. You can still participate. You're just not going to participate with the elements. Also, if you're a first-time guest with us, if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is open to you. Please come and partake. Let's worship him. But if you're here today and you still have spiritual questions, you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I'm thrilled you came. I realized today was about parents and, and children and probably not kind of what you wanted. And, and yet we got to see the heart of God. And so for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, rather than come to these elements, talk to God. Is this all true? Is he really this God in heaven who has all the power and yet set it aside to come down to earth for you? If it is true, may you take these next moments to just give your life to Christ, give your heart to him, give everything to him. So may we just go at any time during the song to these elements. May we do this as worship. May we do this as in, in prayer. May we do this in remembrance of him.